Welcome to the Sheila Kama Extractive Podcast. My guest today is Sodi Naika. Sodi is a geologist by training and the managing director of DMT Kaibata. With a diverse 26-year background in mining, minerals, and technical project assessment. His expertise spans exploration, mining operations, economic beneficiation strategies, among others. He's active across the African continent and specializes in the technical and economic aspects of mining, mineral focus project assessment with a strong focus on value chain analysis of critical minerals. Shoji, thank you very much for your time. I look forward to our conversation today. Uh, thank you for the introduction, Sheila. It's a pleasure to be here and I'm really looking forward to our discussions. Fantastic. I thought given your your background and especially your involvement with uh, exploration and mining operations that you could give us a sense of uh, this whole notion of the fourth industrial revolution. Let's start with the basics. What do we mean by the fourth industrial revolution? Well, you know, I think the, well, the fourth industrial revolution for our, I think it really refers to a fusion of technologies that to some extent blur the lines between the physical, digital, and biological spheres. Uh, you know, in, in geological exploration and mining, this could involve automated machinery, the internet of things, and data analytics. So it's, you know, it's a combination of automated machinery and autonomous vehicles and drones, which can be employed for more precise and efficient extraction, uh, the use of sensor technologies, big data, artificial intelligence, now, those are the sort of things we talk about when we refer to the 4IR, especially in mining and exploration. Right. So if we think of uh, this, when we say fourth industrial revolution, presumably we had a third, a second, and a first. Uh, what is it essentially that differentiates the fourth industrial revolution from other industrial revolution, especially as it relates to the mining exploration and other uh, industry environments? Okay, that's an excellent question. And, and I think that, you know, if we look at the World Econo Economic Forum, they position the first industrial revolution uh, to be that of mechanization and steam and water power. Uh, the second industrial revolution looks at mass production, division of labor, assembly lines and electricity. Whereas the third looks at more electronics and ICT and automated production. So now if we look at the fourth industrial revolution, I think it's it's characterized by cyber physical systems, uh, networks, big data, artificial intelligence. And this is depicted by a convergence of technologies, a convergence of physical and digital, digital uh, biological spaces. You know, it, you know, as I mentioned in my in the in the, in the first question, uh, it's a combination of autonomous robots, vehicles, smart mobile devices, systems integration, and all this is taking place at an exponential rate. It's basically changing by the second, by the minute. There's new technologies and innovation that's coming up. So, so the fast fast-paced revolution that's taking place. Sure. So this uh, fusion of uh, uh, technologies and, and the, the pace at which things are, are happening, where is it coming from? Are there regions of the world that are leading in this uh, innovation? 
uh, or, or uh, are we seeing that the technology is coming from different parts, but finding space globally? Well, you know, it depends who you speak to, but in my experience over the last few years, I would say that uh, North America, Western Europe, and parts of Asia are largely at the forefront of this. Uh, if you look at North America, especially the United States and Canada, they're leading various aspects of the 4 which includes artificial intelligence, automation, big data analysis. I mean, if you look at Silicon Valley, that continues to be an epicenter of technological innovation, fostering startups, uh, attracting global tech giants, and a strong and important part is a strong presence of venture capital, which really is important for the growth of four technologies. Western Europe, I think their strong point is that they have a lot of the OEMs based there, and they have a strong manufacturing base, especially countries like Germany. And additionally, the EU is actively promoting R&D in various, uh, through various funding programs. And then uh, the final region, East Asia, I think that there the focus will be largely Japan and South Korea, to some, and to some extent China, uh, which is emerging as a significant player in 4IR. Uh, Japan has been a leader, as we know, in robotics for quite some time, robotics and automation. And South Korea has recently made strides in the Internet of Things and smart manufacturing. Um, yeah, so, I mean, those would be the main regions. And I would presume Australia to some extent as well, but much lesser than, than the other regions. Sure. So, um, yeah, it's interesting because from what you're saying, uh, there's a, a kind of a correlation between uh, tech innovation and mass but also availability of uh, presumably venture capital to go into uh, R&D. And then of course, the, the industry to consume the products as they come out and, and presumably ICT infrastructure to drive all that. So this convergence of uh, you know, finance, R&D, knowledge mm -hmm. in science, and then market seems to me to be an important factor in, in driving this. So I should ask you, you made no mention of Africa. Should African governments concern themselves with uh, developments in the fourth industrial uh, revolution space? Most certainly, you know, they, they should definitely be um, concerning themselves. And I think there are various, various factors to look at, you know, um, as a region, Africa, you know, needs to look at what's happening globally and how it could lose a competitive edge it may have in terms of in minerals, uh, if it doesn't keep pace with what's happening elsewhere. Investments in four IR technologies can yield long-term economic gains from job creation to increased GDP. Um, we don't want to widen the gap. You know, if we, it can, four IR can also be used as a tool to leapfrog, uh, you know, leapfrog into other sectors, uh, given that many African countries haven't fully undergone the early industrial revolutions, the 4IR presents an opportunity to skip the traditional development phases. Example, you know, just to move to another sector, the banking sector, which has allowed many uh, in Africa to bypass traditional banking systems. So you know, these are the things that the African continent needs to worry about is that they're gonna be left behind. In terms of mining itself, resource optimization 
is, is very important, uh, not only in mining, but agriculture and manufacturing as well, where 4IR can increase opt and optimize resource efficiency, reducing waste, which is very crucial for sustainable development. But there are various social benefits, and one could look at global partnerships for engaging with other countries and skills transfer. National security is another important one with the importance of growing cybersecurity. It's crucial for African governments to understand and invest in technologies to protect the infrastructure. Obviously, this goes just beyond mining. And innovation and entrepreneurship, promoting FOIR stimulates innovation, uh, offering solutions for local challenges. So there's, there's a whole array of factors that Africa and governments need to concern themselves with when it comes to the 4IR. Sure. I want to come back to something you said, because, of course, being a, a geologist, these terms come naturally to you, but they are not uh, so uh, understandable. Explain the relationship between technology and the ability to optimize the use of uh, mineral deposits. Where is the link there? Okay, maybe let, we can start at the beginning during uh, exploration. There's a various technologies that can be used to rapidly detect uh, and improve geological uh, mapping, uh, core logging, for example. We have digital core scanners that very accurately log and improve efficiencies in the logging of core, in increasing uh, data, you know, data being uploaded onto the cloud, decisions being made more quickly and efficiently. Um, take a typical mining, a mining open cast mining operation where we are where the uh, we are tracking grade and the blending of grade to optimize the quality of the iron ore or coal or whatever the bulk commodity is being mined. We have uh, GPS sensors and you know you're able to blend the different qualities in literally seconds and improve efficiencies where you deploy different trucks to different uh, coal faces to pick up the coal, take it to the stockyard, the blending takes place. So, you know, it's, it's things take place at a rapid pace. And obviously you reduce costs. Uh, so yeah, it, it's, it's, it's really, really exciting to, 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 uh, to actually see this in action when you visit a, a mine that's linked uh, in terms of 4IR. Yeah, I mean, the thing of it is that uh, before our generation, uh, geology used to physical. I don't think people appreciate that uh, geology used to get onto a truck and literally drive and scoop a bit of sand. And to your point, now, because of technology, those processes have changed. Not only can we make discoveries and bring mines to fruition much quicker because uh, we can acquire and deliver and analyze data very quickly and, and undertake studies much faster. Uh, mm -hmm. in a, at a time when we need certain minerals, we can bring those uh, on stream and, and start producing much quicker than the uh, old days when it used to be like eight years from a discovery to production. But I, I think also, uh, isn't it correct, Sodi, uh, that uh, in terms of um, mines that are, are reaching the end of life, we often have to leave uh, minerals uh, on the ground because physically we just can't get to them. But that now between uh, robots and other piece of technology, we can 
extract this minerals more safely, which is to say, absolutely, yeah, absolutely correct, absolutely correct. Yes, it's about extracting, you know, minerals that are more difficult to get to, that are more deeper, uh, lower grade ores. Also, in terms of processing technologies, you know, there's been massive advancements in terms of processing technologies, looking at low grade and complex type ores. Remember, all the easy stuff has already been mined and processed. It's more and more of the difficult, harder bodies and complex ores that are now being uh, being mined. So technology and 4IR plays an absolutely key role in unlocking potential in these type of deposits. Yeah, because we forget, don't we, Sodi, that the, the, the physical mass uh, called the planet Earth uh, is, is, is fairly extensively uh, habited and developed. And as you rightly say, any large mine that could be found of any significance, we already sort of have a sense of it. And now we are really beginning to mine on the edges, for lack of a better word. And here, the ability to optimize uh, those deposits using technology is, is what you're talking about. Is that correct? Correct, correct, correct. absolutely correct, yes. Can, can I yeah. suggest something else, which is, is that, as you and I know, technology is a double-edged sword. Uh, on one level, to your point, it'll help us uh, optimize resource extraction and discoveries, etc. But what are the chances that the same technology renders certain mineral substances uh, redundant because we find substitutes uh, using uh, new technology? Is, is it, how much a threat is that potentially to uh, certain uh, minerals and certain industries? That is an absolutely massive threat in my mind. And I would think, you know, as you know, there's a scramble for critical minerals globally. And one of these minerals is cobalt. And cobalt, I think, you know, majority of the cobalt comes from the DRC. And associated with that, there's massive uh, ESG ethical, uh, you know, concerns linked to the production of cobalt. So there are various countries, majority in the West, that are looking extensively and pumping a lot of money into R&D for substitution. You know, if the West can move away from, from cobalt, and then it disassociates itself with all the ESG uh, baggage that comes to cobalt. So there is massive, uh, massive research. And I don't think we're very far off from seeing, you know, cobalt substitution in batteries taking place. Yeah, so so this is uh, quite apart from uh, mineral revenue dependent countries concerning themselves with um, technology for reasons of efficiency. Uh, mm -hmm. Technology is also a threat unless somehow they can convince the world that using raw materials is the right thing to do from a human rights, from an environment, and from other practices, then in effect, others will undercut mining and say, well, I have an ethical solution. Yes. You don't have to mine. But, but the key is never to create a situation in which the argument on bad ethics arises in the first instance. But the moment you allow that, then you create a business opportunity. And here, the fourth industrial revolution prospects are if you wish, the enemy of the state, right? Yes, yes, correct, correct. But, you know, like you said, it's double-edged sword. There's an enemy and also there's massive upside potential for, for the state in terms of adoption of 4IR. Yeah. 
so when you think of, uh, we've talked about the United States, Silicon Valley, uh, we've talked about um, Canada, Korea, and Japan. Uh, what we haven't recognized is that if one looks at that many of the high tech, at least those that are in the, if you wish, uh, consumer uh, market, if you look at many of the uh, companies in the United States, they are run by a generation of Asians from India. What does that tell us about the importance of skills? Because you know, whether it's Microsoft, Google, and others, you see that there, there's a generation of uh, India or, or first generation American Indians. What does this tell us about India and India's ability to produce IT skills and how those IT skills are now finding their way into the world? Well, I think, you know, it's a combination of factors. Uh, I mean, the starting point always is basic education. You've got to have a solid foundation for, for basic education. And I think India has done that very well. And then also the, the host countries have policies where they encourage uh, investment. They have, you know, a friendly regime where they encourage investment and they make the, the transfer of skills and encourage people to come across and settle in Silicon Valley and 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 you know thrive and develop and uh, whereas you know if you try going to any other of the African countries it's a lot more harder in terms of uh, getting uh, entry into the country visa requirements uh, those sort of things make it very difficult so you know in terms of skills we got to have the right environment where people are able to, to develop and take risks I think risk is also a very important thing. Uh, the regulatory environment, uh, IP property issues are also very important. Uh, skills and the infrastructure. The infrastructure in the country is very important. You've got to have high bandwidth, uh, you know, uh, that encourages, which is a key requirement for the 4IR to, to really take off. You can't have 4IR technologies in an area where you have low bandwidth and uh, internet connectivity is a, is a problem. So all these factors, I think, add up to to having the right environment, and be that be that in India or China or Japan, doesn't matter. It's the environment in which 4IR is encouraged to to thrive and grow, and being adopted and used. Yeah, mm, yeah, it's it's interesting. I, I, I'm listening to you, and and my mind is racing because I, I'm thinking. So you're setting the bar a little high. You're talking about <laughs> bandwidth, and I'm thinking, let's just start with having electricity in the first instance. <laughs> but of course, you and I know that mining is different because often, especially in large projects, mines can ring-fence themselves, provide themselves the energy, provide themselves the bandwidth, and de facto become an island in an otherwise um poor facilities where there's not enough infrastructure, but also mining can then be the flywheel to offer that infrastructure to the rest of the country or region in a space in which it doesn't exist. I, I think that this is, that potentially makes mining a driver of the fourth industrial revolution and all things internet in places where 
the company has the resources, they can make the investment, they can procure, they can get the scientists, they can elevate. Uh, how can countries leverage that? How can countries like Botswana working with companies like the BS that, as you know, have a massive R&D capability? How should countries leverage mining to leapfrog where they otherwise don't have the, the resources? Well, I think the first thing is that the, the policy environment, the regulations have to encourage, uh, have to encourage for IR, it's got to make, the, you know, it's got to be, you've got to be able to, to uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, and in, in the country where you are able to operate freely within the bounds of the law. Because remember, four IR. There's a lot of ethical issues that come with four IR and the sharing of data and uh, sharing of private information. So those are the things that need to be put in place. The government needs to make sure that they have the right regulations in place for the companies to operate. And once the companies are set up and operate, then you know it's what we've always always been saying: the deposit is there, and it must be leveraged for the benefit and development of the country. You know, we've always talked about using the deposit for, for linkages, uh, be it financial or R&D. It's just now adding four IR as an additional linkage to the deposit, which then flows into the greater community. Uh, the, the mines can set up whatever is required for the four IR infrastructure that's needed and also assist government with the skills that they bring because to a large extent, these mining companies are multinationals and they're able to get skills, import skills from other parts of the world. And, and you can slowly start with skills transfer and start the development from that angle, in my view. Hmm. Uh, when we think of mining companies in the space of the fourth industrial revolution, are you observing that multinationals use this to compete or uh, is there a level at which industry collaborates for all intents and purposes to transform the entire mining ecosystem and create what you might call a mining of tomorrow? Is, is there more collaboration uh, or is there more competition to get an edge over each other? I, th I, think, I think there's a, a mixture of both, uh, collaboration and competition. Uh, you know, on one hand, uh, they collaborate to work together to establish standards, uh, frameworks through forums and consortiums. Uh, large R&D projects, uh, for example, there's a lot of collaboration and, and particularly when there's high risk and uh, high, uh, high cost. So there is collaboration in that sense. But co I think com the competition kicks in when uh, there's actual implementation of these technologies. Uh, the, com the companies sort of vie for intellectual property rights and uh, skills. They look for top talent. They compete in those areas. So, you know, I would think there is a mixture of both. There's the collaborative approach during the foundational aspects of uh, technology development and innovation. And then there's a drive to realize the benefits, which spurs the competition between uh, mining companies. Hmm. I guess it's it's similar, isn't it? It's it's when you talk of the foundational stage. I guess uh, in some respects, 
part of the value of uh, having large multinational mining companies in any jurisdiction is, is that, especially at foundational stage, the relationships that these companies form with universities and, and other centers of excellence to answer the purely scientific questions and then leave and create a basis for mining operations, uh, you know, problem solution and so forth. I, I, I think that often is missing, I, I think. And I, I, I wonder whether you think the fourth industrial revolution opportunity might, and, and the pace at which things are happening might unlock this. Because I, I, I find that in Canada, for instance, and Australia, mm -hmm. The relationship between mining companies and education uh, and universities is stronger. I don't often find it in Africa, and I wonder how we can uh, leverage that, especially with respect to the fourth industrial revolution. Now, I, I think you know it used to be R and D in, in in Africa used to be a lot stronger until a lot of the multinationals moved a lot of the centers of competence out of Africa, in the back to Australia, Canada, and left the gap. However, there is still some collaboration with some of the major universities, but I think a lot more can be done, especially in terms of 4IR. I know in South Africa, several of the universities are actively involved in the research around 4IR and digitalization, where they have some of the major mining houses sponsoring them and having professorships and chairs, which are sponsored. But I think you know, another key point, just to digress slightly, is that we spoke a lot about the big mining companies, and yes, they're important, but there are various startups and juniors, which in my mind are also very important and to a large extent are the key drivers for innovation. And they, to some extent, take a lot more of the risks when it comes to, to defining new technologies and testing these and investing in these technologies. So yeah. it's, it's, it's a combination of both the, the majors and the, the juniors and, and, and tech companies, startup tech companies. Yes, yeah. you are right about that. As a matter of fact, I think uh, in the area of, um, say, energy uh, conservation and, and uh, uh, those areas, a lot of the innovation uh, has come from small companies mm -hmm. uh, who invest in, and, and then, of course, uh, others then uh, invest in it and then we we scale it up. But, but the, the right. thinking and the, the prototypes uh, often are done in, in smaller uh, operations. Here's my last question to you. Speaking of clean energy, uh, are we seeing any impact uh, on the drive towards clean energy that is linked to the fourth industrial revolution? Is there an intersection there where we are seeing a dynamic that would otherwise not be there uh, in the transition to clean energy because of uh, the fourth industrial revolution? I think there is. There's a close uh, reinforcing relationship between mine digitalization and the quest for clean energy. Um, I think at, you know, in the first instance, digital transformation is the cornerstone strategy achieving efficiency and productivity enhancements required to meet the growing demand for green minerals, battery minerals, which is very crucial in clean energy technologies. And this imperative to reduce emissions and adopt electrification pushes mining operations towards cleaner, more energy practices, more energy efficient practices. 
uh, technologies play a role in the shift by facilitating optimization of energy consumption, integration of renewables and resource management. And then I think finally, digital transformation ensures uh, supply chain transparency, which is very important for ethical sourcing of minerals for clean energy solutions. So, you know, there is a, it does play a, a very key role in the quest for clean energy. Absolutely. Well, I, I think you are right, especially in the space of provenance, we are seeing that uh, the blockchain technology, blockchain technology uh, yes. is going to help very much with traceability. And, and so uh, the, the application in mining is, is fairly extensive and, and, and manifests itself in different ways. Well, Sodi, thank you very much for joining the Sheila Kama Extractive Podcast. Uh, I've enjoyed uh, speaking with you and look forward to seeing you again in the foreseeable future. Thank you, Sheila. Thank you for having me. And I really enjoyed our discussion.